All right, so we're ready to get into the Word this morning. You know, you know what I did? I, I looked back on some previous sermons, and I start every sermon the same way. Do you know where we're going? Take your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter, and, and we're continuing in this series verse by verse. And, and I, if someone made a clip of that, it would be comical. But I'm going to say it again today. We're going to continue our verse by verse study of Colossians. We're in now we're in chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 2 through 6. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. I think that today's message is going to be relatively simple, um, pretty straightforward, but it is the Word of God. And, and like I always say, um, I'm not speaking to anyone in particular. I'm speaking to everybody in general. If I'm speaking to anyone in particular, I'd say I'm speaking to me, because I need to hear I need to hear all these messages, but I need to hear this message. And uh, so uh, we've been talking about the last couple of weeks how to live a holy, uh, how to have a holy family. Uh, last week was holiness in work, and today I've entitled the message how to have how to live a holy life. And you know it's not as complicated as you might think. And I'm not going to give you a list of rules like, well, you can do this and you can't do that. I'm just going to go by what the scripture says. In fact, in my Bible, in my New King James, uh, the, the, the subtitle of this passage is Holiness in Public Life. And so the, these verses have to do with living a holy, godly life in our day-to-day experiences. So let me, let me read uh, verses 2 through 6, and then we'll pray and get into it. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time, And let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Dear Father, thank you for this book of Colossians. Thank you for your word in general. But thank you for this particular book and this particular passage today where we are in our studies. Lord, we ask you, let your Holy Spirit fall upon this message. And let us hear what saith the Lord personally and collectively. I ask you, Lord, anoint my mind and my heart and my spirit and my lips that I may speak the word of God with clarity and compassion and passion and let your will be done with it. Let your word accomplish exactly what you want it to to accomplish today in everyone's life. Those here, those on live stream, those that may watch this later in the week or sometime in the future. So we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the freedom we have to preach your word in this country. Bless our time. Let us hear your voice. Let us quiet down everything on the outside that we may hear what you want to say to us today. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So I've entitled the message, Holiness uh, and uh, How to Live a Holy Life. And the word has a lot to say about holiness. The world wants nothing to do with it. The world shuns it. 
kind of turns it out. But the Word of God talks a lot about it. Let me just give you a couple of references uh, if you want to take notes or whatever, or maybe check it out later. But 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, God did not call us to uncleanness, but, but unto holiness. Uh, he didn't call us to be unclean. He called us to be holy. Ephesians 4.24 says to put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 1 Peter 1.5 says uh, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Romans 6.19b says so now present your bodies as slaves of righteousness for Holiness. Holiness is often associated with or connected to sanctification, meaning we're set apart, uh, removed from the things of the world. Uh, and holiness is not an outdated term to describe a certain lifestyle of long ago. You know, the, the Pentecostals used to be called a holiness church or a holiness movement. And people had visions of uh, ladies with long dresses and uh, men that couldn't uh, wear uh, facial hair and, and stuff like that. But, but holiness is really something good. It's a position that we have in Christ. It's a position of the church. The church is a holy entity because our leader is holy. And the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, without holiness, we can never see the Lord. And there are some Christian people, unfortunately, that are living in a conflict. They want to serve the Lord. They want to see the Lord. Yet their unholy lives are preventing them from making progress in the faith. So I thought about this. What, what exactly is holiness? Well, I looked it up in dictionary.com. Dictionary.com says that holiness means dedicated and devoted to the service of God and the church. It means saintly, godly, pious, and devout. Holiness is often described as surrendering, yielding to God and his word. Holiness uh, has to do with consecration and, and being Christ-like, for he is holy. This is something the word tells us to go after, something to achieve, it, it, it takes cooperation with the believer and the Holy Spirit to achieve holiness. We have to work together with God to achieve holiness. Sin stifles holiness. Um, sin hinders holiness. Uh, sin makes it unable for us to attain holiness. Where it says in 1 John 2... The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, these things are not of God. They prevent us from being where we should be with God. So I delved into this subject and I studied. I came across a little article on the seven deadly sins. I wasn't sure what they were meaning at the time, but I figured, oh yeah, I got that. And this is taken from several different scriptures, but these seven deadly sins will prevent us from living in holiness. And they'll prevent us from being who we should be. Because God has saved us and put us on a course of holiness, 
for his glory and purpose. But if we're living in sin or have some issue going on, we may be saved, but we're not achieving the level of, of, of maturity that God wants us to have and we'll never fulfill the calling that God has in our lives. Hello? Listen, everybody here, I say it all the time. You're probably sick of me saying it. Everybody here is called to do something in the kingdom of God. It may be as, as simple as taking care of your family. Going to work, making money, bless your family, be there for your family. That's a ministry of God. But everyone has something in particular to do. Maybe something here. It may be cleaning the church or whatever, cleaning those glass doors with, with Windex or whatever. Something, something that needs to be done. But see, when we have these seven deadly sins going on in our lives, we're, we're prevented from stepping into that realm. Let me just list them. I'll give you what they are and the opposite of what they are. First one is pride. We can never live a holy life with pride. The opposite of pride is humility. Envy is another one. Envy, you know, being mad, hating people. The opposite of that is having love and joy towards people. Wrath, like a bitterness towards people. The opposite would be peace and gentleness. Gluttony. It's one of the seven deadly sins. No self-control in what we eat. Lust. No self-control in what we see or, or who we get, how we get associated with people. No respect for the human body of someone else or ourselves. Slothfulness. Laziness. The opposite of diligence and servanthood. And greed. The opposite is being generous. But the word... And the Lord commands us to pursue holiness. See, holiness is the foundation of a satisfied life. Without holiness, and I want to get away from, you know, I mean, maybe it's me, but I, I think of the word holiness like in the old days. And I think of how people looked or dressed or acted. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about holiness for 2023. Holiness is the foundation of a satisfied life. We're rooted in Christ-likeness. Holiness is being Christ-like. In 2023, yeah, that's, that's the point. Being Christ-like, listen, means being free of sin. Being Christ-like means, means being free to be myself and yourself the real you, the real me. Holiness means uh, we're, we're free to enjoy the life that God gave us. He redeemed us to enjoy this new life. We can't enjoy the new life if we're bound up in the seven deadly sins or whatever sins you want to say. But it's there for the taking. Jesus is our example. You know, when I read the Gospels, we, we have such a clear picture of Jesus, how he pursued the Father. He'd go off and pray and seek his Father and all these things. But, but the other side of that is Jesus was always involved with people. And this is telling me holiness. I mean, people will say, I'm good with God. It's everybody else I'm having a problem with. Well, that, that's an issue. <laughs> If we're good with God, we'll be okay with everybody else. But see, Jesus was okay with the Father, and he was okay with everybody else. 
Holiness has got to be spiritual and it's got to be social. It's both. It's, re- it's the real thing. It's the real, uh, how can you say, the real faith uh, lived, lived out in our culture today. So I, I entitled this, How to Live a Holy Life, or How to Have a Holy Life, and uh, How to Make the Most Out of What God Has Given Us. I think verses 2 through 6 are a recipe of sorts for a holy, productive, full, godly life. And it's characterized, as we get into this, by what we do privately, what we do publicly. It's prioritized by how to live in the real world. So as we all, as we have been doing for the last several months, we're going to go through this verse by verse and then make some application for us. Verse number two starts by saying, and and I'm using uh, New King James, so your translation may be a little bit different. Mine says, continue earnestly in prayer. So this is telling me that the assumption is made that we're praying. Uh, I, I know that there are some Christians that don't pray. They only pray when there's a crisis. Then they really pray. But a lot of Christians don't pray or they just kind of pray like throughout the day a little bit here and there. But uh, uh, th- this topic assumes that Christians pray. Another translation says, uh, devote yourselves to, to prayer or co- to continued prayer. Now, let me, let me give a little Bible study here. Because if you go back, look at chapter 3, verse 18. Remember, we were there, chapter 3, verse 18, about wives and husbands and children and fathers and then bond servants and masters all like one big chunk? Well, this kind of goes along with that. And he's saying, you wives, you husbands, you fathers, etc., in verses 18 through 4.1, you need to be continuing praying about your situation. So I would take that to mean no matter what state of life you're, we're in, we need to be a praying people and to pray earnestly. You know, if, you, if we want to fulfill our purpose, like these wives, husbands, children, bond servants, fathers, etc., if we want to f- fulfill our function in life, in the world, in our society, we need to be a people of prayer. So being a person of prayer will, will get us on the road to holiness. Luke chapter 18, we won't go there, but great story, great parable Jesus taught about the importance of prayer. It was the story of a woman who was in trouble with the law, and she had to stand before a judge. And the judge was an ungodly, he didn't care about anything. He kept putting her off. And she was persistent. She was basically, in our vernacular, she would be what would be called a pain in the neck. And she kept bothering him and troubling him. And finally, uh, he, he said, you know what, just to get her off my back, I'm going to take care of her. And he avenged her. And, and Jesus said, how much more will your father in heaven, who's not like that judge, your father in heaven loves you, cares for you, wants to help you, how much more will he look after you if you come before him? And you may have to come before him time after time after time. And Jesus concluded that little section by saying, when the Son of Man comes back, will he really find faith on the earth? Paraphrase. When Jesus comes back, will he find people earnestly praying anymore? Or is that a thing of the past? Is that a thing that only the early church did? Or only when we get in trouble, that's what we do? Or will he come back and find people really seeking God and having faith and trusting him? 
Well, verse number two continues. It says, continue earnestly in prayer and being vigilant. Vigilant means being watchful. You know, Jesus said one time in, the, in Gethsemane, he said, could you not watch with me for one hour? Meaning, could you not pray and watch and stand guard with me? A friend of mine told me sometimes when we get, enter into a season of prayer, sometimes that's the time when the enemy wants to creep in and distract us or to even discourage us. Because you start to think, why am I doing this? I'm not getting what I want. Jesus doesn't hear me. It's all a lie from the enemy. But pray with, with, a, with a, a vigilance or a watchfulness. Be aware of the, of the detours and the, the sidetracks and the attack of the enemy that would want to bring you down and change the focus of your direction. We have to be steadfast, earnestly seeking God. And we need to pray uh, with, with the direction and with specificity, being specific in our prayers. And we'll look at that in just a second. And we need to pray with thanksgiving. The idea that it's done already. I thank you, God, for hearing me and acting on my behalf. I, I saw a great thing on Facebook, and I posted it. You know, we've been praying for Katie, who has this, this problem with uh, a disease in, in her stomach, gastroparesis. Very, very difficult disease. And, and the prayer was, Lord, heal her. And then the prayer was, Lord, let the insurance company kick in that they would pay for the medical care that she needs. Months and months went by. She could not get the medical care. We prayed. We prayed. Every day we prayed. And one day last week, she wrote on her Facebook, well, I got my medical insurance. I said, well, hallelujah. See, this is the thing. This is what constant steadfast, vigilant prayer, because someone would say, that's never going to happen. Well, it happened. And I share that to increase your faith, that God hears everything we pray, even when you don't think so. I mean, relatively speaking, that was a short time for God's answer. Some of us have been praying for things for a year or two or five, and we're still praying and trusting God for the answers to those things. So, and, and now verse number three. Meanwhile, my translation says, meanwhile, as you're doing that, pray for us. This is what I mean about being specific in prayer. While you're, while you're praying earnestly for your own situation and you're being vigilant and thankful, will you pray for us? Here's a little comment right here. How pastors and leaders and teachers need the prayers of the saints. I say that without any hesitation or whatever. I need your prayers. Leaders, pastors need the prayers of the saints. No doubt about it. It reminds me of Acts chapter 12. You know the story. Peter, James was just martyred. Peter was thrown into the inner prison. And he was distraught. I mean, his best friend was just murdered. And he was next on the block. But it says in chapter 12, but constant prayer was being offered by the church. Now, we don't know how long that went on. Next thing we know is that an angel came and he got released from prison and showed up at the prayer meeting. And they were all wondering, how did you get here? Well, you just prayed. But see, leaders, pastors need the prayers of the saints. And now, now listen to what, what, what Paul is praying for. I, I, I have to comment on this. Verse number three. He, he wasn't, now he's sitting in prison writing this letter. 
You think maybe he would have said, pray that I get out of jail? That was not even close. He did not pray that prayer. He didn't, didn't pray for his health. And he'd been whipped and beaten and all sorts of things. He didn't pray for, for anything other than that God would open up a door for us. That we could preach the mystery of Christ. What a great prayer request. Awesome prayer request. Um, and he says, uh, and then verse number four continues, that I may make it manifest. In other words, he's praying, church, pray for me. That, when I, that God will open up a door of ministry, and when he does that I'll take full uh, opportunity to proclaim the word of God and make it come alive. He's saying, I I don't want to just talk. I don't want to just share a message and go my way. I want to preach the word of God with an anointing on me. Will you pray for me to do that? And he says that I, as I ought to speak. What a, what a, from a pastor's point of view, this is a great, a great prayer request. Would you do that for me, by the way? I mean, really, would you do that for me? Just pray that, that Pastor Rick will preach a good message, that the word will come alive and be good for us. And, and, and you, know, you know what? The word will do great things. The word does great things. So pray for uh, an open door of ministry, that, that he would speak the mystery of Christ. Um, great, great request. I love that. Uh, Verse number three, let me just digress for a moment. You may remember some of you. We had pastored for many years in Webster, Massachusetts. One Sunday night, I was, when Sunday nights were really happening in our culture, so that's probably 15, 16 years ago, I preached, I, I did, I was teaching on the subject of what to pray for. And one of the last thing I, I, I said to pray for is to pray for divine appointments. And I used Colossians 4, verse 3. That God would just open up a door somewhere, maybe when you're getting coffee, going show, whatever. Just pray for a divine appointment that God would open up a door. The next day, Pamela and I took a trip from Webster to good old Haverhill, Massachusetts. Because I had heard that the church needed a pastor. I heard that because I was connected with some people. And so we took a ride up here and just kind of looked at it. I was standing in front of the church. And uh, I said, Lord, this is a nice church. I was sensing our time in Webster was coming to a close. We were just, you know, testing the waters. I said, Lord, it's a nice church, but it would be nice if someone would come by and open the door. Maybe there'd be a divine appointment. And I'm telling you, right then, boom, Ken Whitecotton drove in in his little pickup truck. He thought I was the roofer going to repair the roof. I said, no, I'm a pastor. I'm just checking out the building. He goes, oh, come on in. Let me show you around. That was in October. By November, the decision was made, and we started here in December. of That, yeah, that, was, that was 2007. I'm just saying, that, that prayer, that verse right there speaks to my heart. When you pray for God to open up a door, guess what? He'll open up a door. So when he opens up the door, though, you have to be ready to walk through the door and seize the moment. And just personally, 15 years later, I'm still seizing the moment. The door was open, and I'm still here, and the door is still open for ministry. So I'm doing what I, I believe I'm called to do. So, you know, tuck that away in your heart and, and apply it to your life. 
And then verse number five, he continues. Verse number five. Now it goes, he says, walk in wisdom. Another word for a walk in this case would be live. Walk your life, live your life, do your thing with wisdom. With wisdom. Uh, so, so that those on the outside, those that are not saved, those that are not in the church, meaning the lost, the unsaved, or the pre-saved, uh, walk and live like Jesus, who is our wisdom, as we rub shoulders with non-Christians, let us walk in such a way that they would be curious about the hope that we have in our hearts. James tells us, if, any, if anyone lacks wisdom, to ask God in faith. And he'll give you wisdom. You know, one of, my, one of my most often prayer requests is, Lord, give me wisdom. Because my personal wisdom doesn't go far enough. I need God's wisdom. But, but walk in wisdom toward those who are outside and, and, and redeem the time. Just to paraphrase, how, how will you live as a Christian in an ungodly, unredeemed world controlled by Satan? You know, he's telling, he's telling the wives, the husbands, the children, the fathers, the bondservants, and the masters, walk in wisdom so that those on the outside will see something about you. In another way, I, I think Paul is saying from verses 2, 3, and 4, he's saying, look, pr- your prayer time is going to affect the way you walk. Continue earnestly in prayer Right? Vigilant and thankful. Pray for us, but walk in a way in wisdom. Your, your prayer time is going to affect how you walk. And I think Paul is, is saying another thing here. He, he's saying, in a, in a sense, he's saying, will you join me in my heart for souls? Think, stay with me here. Paul's in prison. Verses 2, 3, and 4. Well, 3 and 4, actually. Pray for me. Pray for us. That a door of ministry will open, that we could preach the mystery of Christ, and, and I'll, I'll have a, uh, it'll be manifested, it'll come alive uh, as we preach the Word of God. And you now, you walk in such a way, you live in such a way that those on the outside will see Christ in you as well. And he says, uh, walk, walk with wisdom, walk with an eye for somebody's salvation, but walk with caution. Because you can't get too close to that fire. You might get burned. There may be certain areas of your life that you, you shouldn't go near. But as you live your life, you'll have wisdom to know this way, go that way, do this, don't do that. Don't get too close to that. That's too tempting for you. Go over here. But walk in wisdom and, and redeem your time. Redeem your time. Now, there's only so much time in a life. Everyone has an expiration date. I was so moved, I think it was yesterday. Our dear brother, uh, David Siriano, went home to be with the Lord in December. Our brother would come here, you know, periodically and preach on end times. Wonderful man of God, faithful. And uh, not suddenly, he had some health problems, but he died towards the end of December. And I read his wife's post, and it it just touched me. I felt her sorrow. I really did. But I also felt her hope that one day they would be reunited. And I thought, you know what? That's all of us. We all have an expiration date. And we don't know when it is. But we would be wise to redeem the time that God gives us. 
What's important? God? Yeah. Family? Yeah. Church? Yep. Work? Yeah. You have to work. What's important? Being a witness for God. Being a witness for God. There's only so much time per life, per season of life. I think I shared this. I heard a sermon, but the pastor was talking about different seasons that we have in life. But seasons change. Whatever season you're in, you're in it. I'm in a season. But this season won't last forever. It'll change sooner or later. Seasons will change. Years will change. Months. We have a certain amount of months. We have a certain amount of weeks. We have a certain number of days to live. And the point here is to make every day count. Walk in wisdom. And then he says, verse number six, he concludes this little passage by saying, let your speech always be graceful with grace and seasoned with salt. I think that one of the key words in this one is the word always. <laughs> you know, we have to be consistent. But let your speech be seasoned with grace uh, a season, let, let your speech be graceful and seasoned with salt. Grace meaning blessing, favor on somebody that doesn't even deserve it. And with salt, you know, salt is a preservative. It makes things last longer. It makes things taste better and so on. But he's saying, let your speech be, uh, be graceful and seasoned with salt. Proverbs 18.21 says that there's death in life and the power of the tongue. With our tongue, we, we can destroy a life or we can build up a life. How we talk, how we answer, how we ask a question, how we communicate with respect and honor or with not respect or with not honor, uh, it affects relationships with people. And, and, it, and it closes by saying, you know, have your speech always with this so that you'll know how to answer people. You'll answer people in the right way, meaning to reflect the God that you serve. Not the neighborhood you grew up in, per se, but you'll reflect the God that you served, you serve, that, is, that has changed and is changing your life. All right, so how to live a holy life. I, I, I want to give you four areas to think about as we, as we kind of, <clears throat> well, I want to say summarize, but I have a little bit to go here. But I think if we follow this pattern, if we follow this pattern as outlined in the Word of God, we will live a holy life. We'll live a holy life in 2023. This is for today, church. This isn't for the 1800s or the 1700s or the first century. The word of God is living and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's for right now. So let me give you some things to think about. Four biblical truths that will foster holy living. The first one is this. If you want to live a holy life, you've got to become a person of prayer. You can't say you're holy and not pray. I've been hearing this my entire Christian life. And I have to confess, I haven't always prayed. I mean, I would pray a little bit every day or maybe. But to really pray was another story. But see, prayer is our lifeline to the Father through Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit. Personally, I love early morning prayer. I love it uh, for many reasons, but I just love being alone with God for that time. Now, someone would say, is this legalistic that you have to pray? Well, 
We live in grace. Verse 2 says, continue earnestly in prayer. Uh, it reminds me of some other things, though. In Colossians 3.12, Paul writes just a chapter before. Put on tender mercies. Put on love and humility. Put on uh, graciousness in your... In other words, in addition to your faith, put these things on you. Is that legalistic? And 2 Peter says something similar. 2 Peter says, uh, add to your... He comes right out and says it. Add to your faith. What do you, I have to add to my faith? But add to your faith... Uh, Virtue and knowledge and self-control and, and, and perseverance, etc. But, but add to your faith these qualities so that, why? why? You can get by without it, I guess. But if you want to be effective, if you want hell to know your name, if you want to make a difference, add to your faith these qualities that the Lord has spoken about in his word. Is it legalistic? I think it's... I think it's a recipe for a victorious Christian life. And I think in my, in my length of time that I've been serving the Lord, I think there have been times in my life that I wasn't at the potential that I should be in. Why? Because I was lazy or whatever things were happening. I just wasn't pursuing God like I probably should have. Was I saved? Yeah, I was saved. I was just living under the radar a little bit. So, holiness... Holiness versus unholiness. I want to encourage you, church, to pray. Don't just talk about it. No one even has to know. Just make time and balance out these two things. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, pray without ceasing. Man, I hung my hat on that verse. I'll just go about my day. I'll be praying throughout the day. I'm good. But after a while, I realized, wait a minute, I need to sit down and talk to my maker a little bit. Those prayers are good. We have to pray, you know, without ceasing. But Colossians 4, 2 is telling me I have to pray earnestly. I have to pray vigilantly. I have to pray with thanksgiving. I have to pray specifically. And so we always have to have an attitude of prayer, but we always have to make time to actually pray. Let me, let me go into this a little bit. Um, Disciplined prayer is the foundation of the whole armor of God passage. Think about it. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of the gospel of peace. Put on the shield of faith. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. But it, it, it concludes by saying, praying always. See, you can do all those things, and if you're not praying, you have no foundation for them to hang on you and to be a part of you. It's the undergirding. And pray with prayers and supplications. Prayer meaning just commune with God, but supplications are when you cry out to God for specific things. So I want to encourage you, church, that early morning prayer is really important. Sunday night prayer from 6 to 7 is really important on the live stream. Our Monday night prayer in-house, 6.30 to 7.30, is really important. Whatever else you can pray, it's really, really important. And I know, this, I know the story. I'm too tired. I got to bed late last night. There's too much on my mind. I have to do this, 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 this. Listen, Martin Luther, the great reformist, said this. I have so much to do today 
I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. You ever hear that? You can't be holy without prayer. And then you may ask, what do, you, what do I pray about? I'm not going to go into all that, but I'll give you five things real quick. Get your Bible, get a concordance, get some scriptures on praise. Write them down and look them up. Let that be your prayer. You're just praising God. Look up the word thanksgiving. Get some scriptures, write them down, look them up, and just thank God. Get some scriptures on repentance and start repenting of your sins. Find some scriptures about petitions. What does the word say about making your request known to God? Look at them and then, then, then make petitions to the Lord. And then the fifth is worship. Find some scriptures about worship and spend some time worshiping the Lord. And be vigilant. Be watchful. And pray with thanksgiving. Philippians 4, uh, 6 says this. Uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here's an example. Lord, I'm praying for so-and-so's salvation. I pray, Lord, that you would lead them to a place of meeting with someone, let something happen. But, Lord, I thank you for hearing me. Thank you for touching that person already. Thank you that I know it's coming. Thank you, Lord, for hearing me. And let that person truly get saved. If I'm praying for a financial blessing or provision, Lord, I have this need, but I know what your word says. Your word says you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Your word says that you can do exceedingly abundantly all that I think or imagine. So I know you can provide for me. I thank you for that, Lord. Let it be manifested in my life, but I thank you that you're hearing me. Here's number two. I'm going to go kind of fast here. Number two is this. If you want to live a holy life, you've got to create prayer, what I would call prayer targets. Verses three and four. Be specific in what you're praying for. Paul was very specific in what he was praying for. Open door of ministry, speaking the mysteries of God, uh, that I would manifest it in my life and make, make the word come alive. And uh, it's like throwing darts at a dartboard. Hit, hit the target. But write down a prayer list. And when God answers your prayer, cross it off and, and keep praying until that thing is answered. But, but make, a, make a target and go for it. Uh, Paul prayed in other passages in Ephesians that the church would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they would know the riches of his glory, that they would be strengthened in their inner man, that Christ would dwell in their hearts and they would be rooted and grounded in love, very specific targets that he was praying for. And so we need to create targets. Uh, what do you want God to do? How do you want God to move? Who do you want God to touch? Personally, I have a little system that I use. I use a lot of letters when I'm praying. I need paper and a pen most of the time. And I, I jot down my little things that I'm praying for. My family has seen little pieces of paper. They don't know what in the world. It, it doesn't say anything. It's just not letters that I, I could figure it out. But it's my way of staying on track with what I want to do. Otherwise, I don't know about you. I'll be drinking coffee. I'll be thinking about the football game. Oh, I'm supposed to be praying now. Well, I better get focused. It helps me stay focused. It helps, it helps me stay into what I'm doing at the time. Anyone else like that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> right, let me just move on. I, I feel like the clock is ticking here. Number three is this. If you want to live a holy life, you've got to walk right. See, at some point, your inner holiness is going to manifest in, in outer holiness. Write this down or remember it. Above everything else, prayer changes you. Prayer will change you. You, you think you're going to, you know, 
Your prayer is going to change somebody else? Maybe, but mostly it's going to change you. So that those on the outside, the unsaved, will see and all that, yeah. So how you walk is important. How, how your reputation is, is important. Your lifestyle is important. How you, how you appear, how your attitude and disposition are. What you do is important. People are watching. And it says to walk in wisdom. You represent Jesus. You represent your church. You represent your pastor. You represent other brothers and sisters. It's hard to be walking in wisdom when you're driving in your car, walking down the street, smoking a joint. Or if you're intoxicated, how can you be a witness for God like that? That's not walking in wisdom. How can you be a witness for God at work if you have a terrible attitude and you're mad at everybody that you work with and you hate people? How can you be a witness if you're gossiping or you're using porn or you're gambling or whatever and you say, I'm a Christian and people at work say, wait a minute, you say you're a Christian and you're doing all that? It doesn't add up. It redeemed the time. What can you do today to make things right to present yourself in a godly way on the outside. Walk with integrity. Walk with honesty. Be kind and be gracious. One Peter two twenty one, just to paraphrase, is I think where the saying came. What would Jesus do? Came from, because Jesus left as an example that we may walk in his steps. So walk in the steps of Christ and we'll have a holy life. Let me conclude this I, with uh, the fourth thing, is to talk right. Let your speech be with grace and salt. Can I be frank with you? Curse words have to go. Taking the Lord's name in vain has to go. Being rude has to go. I, I, I want to get into this, but I hear some Christians that are flat out rude, and it's not nice. It doesn't reflect well the God that we serve. Some people are insensitive to other people, that, that way we speak. Our, our speech has to be with grace, blessing others that don't even deserve it. It has to be with salt, making life better, not worse. Proverbs 18.21 that I referred to before, let me say the whole thing. There's death and life in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Meaning, if your words are producing death in somebody, you're going to be eating the fruit of death yourself. If your words are giving life to somebody, your words will give your, yourself life. Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty seven. I didn't catch this, but he said, by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So what you say and how you say it is really important. The old adage is true. Think before you speak. Think who you're speaking to. Don't speak down to someone, and don't speak about someone in a gossipy way to somebody else. Talk right. Talk right with grace talk with salt to lift up and to bless somebody else I want to conclude this by saying that there are many Christians that talk about holiness like a badge of honor but they're not really holy and you know why I say that because they're critical their words are hurtful 
and they're insensitive to other people. But I'm holy. No, that's not holiness. Holiness has to be both. You can live a holy, pure life, and that's all good. But holiness will come into a situation and make it better, not make someone feel condemned or feel worse about it. Holiness lifts up everybody. You know, like, like if you come across someone that's having a, a terrible season in their life, and they confide in you what they're doing, and you condemn them, you're not doing them any good whatsoever. Your speech back to them should be uplifting and helpful. It should be redeeming, actually. They're coming to you with an issue. You're a Christian. You have to help them get over that and turn to Jesus and say, you know what, I don't even have the answers for you, but let's pray about it. And I'm not going to condemn you anyway, but, but you know, let's just pray about it. But many Christians, somehow, they, they, they think that, well, uh, they, they have this authority, to, they're, they're holy, but, but they're not really holy. It, it's a different definition, the way that I see it in the Word. So I'll put on that last slide, James, just to conclude this. If you want to live a holy life, the church, I'm telling you the truth. Based on this, you've got to start praying. And you have to start praying consistently. If it can't be early in the morning, whatever you could pray during a day, take five minutes, ten minutes, take whatever you take a half an hour, take an hour, whatever you could take. But you, it must become, uh, you know, it must become uh, uh, the normal routine that we that we live in. I mean, uh, you know, we usually brush our teeth in the morning or have a cup of coffee, whatever. But prayer has to be in there somehow. It has to be part of the process of life that we're in. We'll never really achieve holiness without prayer. I find when, I, when I'm in my prayer time, you know, and I pray for a lot of different situations, but a lot of times I'm looking at my own heart. And that repentance part takes on a whole life of its own. But that's what prayer will do. Prayer will make us make things right with God. Secondly, we, we, I would encourage you, be specific in your prayers. Make, make a target. Make a prayer list. Be specific with God. Read the Psalms. David was very specific in, in his prayer request. Walk in wisdom. Walk and live in wisdom. And talk properly. Talk with grace and salt. So I wanted to read the whole thing to close us out today, but I paraphrased it, if that's okay. So why don't we stand together? How to live a holy life. Pray, pray specifically, walk right, and talk right. But if you could read that with me, this is a consolidated version of verses 2 through 6. Ready? Continue in prayer, pray for us, walk in wisdom, and talk with grace. That's our mandate, church. That's the message today. You want to live a holy life? This is what we got to do. Again, continue in prayer, pray for us, walk in wisdom, and talk with grace. Can we say it one more time? Continue in prayer, pray for us, walk in wisdom, and talk with grace. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Every head bowed for just a moment. This is always the moment of truth. And thank you for 
staying with me this whole time. But we would be amiss if we didn't give the Lord an opportunity. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand just to have a response. But is, is there someone here? You're a Christian person, but you know your life is not a holy life. And you're, you're a little convicted, but you're also hopeful today that you can get some things straightened out. Anyone like that at all? All right, yeah, amen. Is there anyone here that feels like, uh, I'm so caught up in my own problems, I never pray for anybody else. Paul said, pray for me, pray for us. Maybe there's some, I, I would enlist you, uh, would you like to be enlisted in, in some that will pray for this church, pray for this pastor, pray for the leaders here, the way Paul is saying, that we would have an open door of ministry, that we, we would be able to share the, the mystery of Christ and manifest the presence of God when we speak, as we ought to. Would someone like to join me with that? Would someone just say, I'll do that with you? Raise your hand if that's you. I'll, I'll pray for you, Pastor. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for this church. And just the last thing is whether you're at work or with your family, to walk and talk in such a way that you reflect Jesus. That's our prayer. So I'll conclude with this. If there's anyone here that needs salvation today, if you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, after I say the amen, please meet me right here at the altar. I'd love to meet you and talk with you. Dear Father, thank you for this word today. I thank you, Lord, for this congregation that that has been... uh, very uh, focused in listening to this message, those on live stream too. But Lord, let it accomplish what you want it to accomplish. Let your will be done with your word today. Let it prick our hearts, but let it also give us hope and let it give us joy that these things are attainable through Jesus Christ. So thank you, Lord, and, and, and let your will be done with it. May we all be in a better place spiritually because of it, and may New Life Christian Assembly reflect that holiness in our day-to-day interaction. We thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Well, you are dismissed, church. The altars are open. If anyone needs to receive Christ or have special prayer, I'd love to meet with you for a few moments.